water on. Good morning to you. Happy New Year. It is, uh, we were uh, not able to be here Wednesday night for the first day of the new year. Uh, so this is the first time we've been able to be back. We were out of town and came back in on Wednesday evening uh, from Arkansas. So that was a fun road trip with two little ones. And uh, we're glad, needless to say, we're just glad to be home. Um, but uh, not only that, we got home and Marley got sick on Wednesday evening. And so Monica and I were up at about 1130, 12 o'clock cleaning up the floor around her bed, and as she was coming down the stairs, she decided to spew everywhere on the walls, and so, you know, y'all have been parents and have experienced that. That's, this is our first big sickness, actually, the first time we've had uh, the throw-up situation, and uh, so that was a fun thing to come back and come home to. Welcome home. That's what I told Monica after it happened. I said, honey, welcome home, and, uh, but we are just glad to be back home and trying to get back in our routine. Uh, the holidays always seem to throw a kink in that, but uh, it's something that you enjoy. I was telling Wayne, he he asked if we had gone to Arkansas. I said, yes. And I said, I really enjoyed being with my family, but I'm sure glad to be home. And uh, so I'm sure a lot of y'all feel the same way. Kind of glad to have that chaotic part of the year over with. It's fun. It's, a, it's enjoyable. Uh, but it sure is nice to get back in our routines. Uh, I think that speaks something about our human nature sometimes. Uh, but anyways, go ahead and open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6. We're going to get there in a moment. Uh, and uh, this is one of the most beloved little Bible stories. Uh, dealing with the fall of Jericho. We're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, before we do that, any announcements or updates in our sick that I need to uh, make known to everybody? I'd like to start off with a prayer. I know we've had several lose loved ones. I was going through and doing the announcements for the screens um, last night, and I think we've got at least six sympathy slides uh, of those who've lost loved ones here around the, uh, the holiday times, and that's not, never easy. We need to remember everybody that did lose those loved ones in our prayers. And uh, obviously, I, we know that uh, some of them may still be grieving. I know um, just Saturday morning, uh, Brother Dwight Davis lost his father. So if you're not on the email list, you didn't see that probably last night come through. But uh, uh, remember Dwight and Patsy and their family. I know that I think Greg and Tiffany and the kids were coming in possibly, I think, yesterday, uh, coming into town. I'm not sure what the funeral arrangements are yet for that. But please remember Dwight and his family and your prayers uh, as they deal with that. And um, other than that, I don't think there's a lot, many other announcements. Uh, the events, obviously, y'all look in your, your bulletins. Hopefully, uh, if I've got enough time to finish it, we're going to have a new format on the bulletin starting next week. So y'all be looking for that. It'll still go out by email, still be printed. We're actually going to print it in-house, though, from now on. And uh, that will be starting hopefully next week. So... Y'all look for that. It's a fun change, and uh, I think uh, hopefully it'll be something that'll be useful to you. Um, I know that both the youth minister and the college minister have expressed interest in writing a little brief article every week, so we may have a little bit more to read in there besides just a bunch of announcements in our bulletin, so that could be enjoyable for us as well and challenging for us at the same time. So y'all look for that change in our bulletin next week. Anything else? Well, let's start off class, if you would, with a word of prayer. If you would, please uh, bow with me. Heavenly Father, our Lord God Almighty, we are so thankful to be able to approach your throne this morning, that we are able to gather together as your family here at Dalreda. After many of us have been traveling and being away from each other, Lord, we ask that you please bless us as we gather this morning to study your word and to worship you. 
Lord, may we open up your word and, and let it speak to us and let the things and the words that are expressed there uh, come across to us so we will be able to learn valuable lessons and gain some knowledge from your word to be able to apply it to our everyday lives. Lord, we are thankful for the church. We're thankful for Dalreda being a congregation of the saints here in Montgomery, and we ask you to be with us and be with the leadership here, especially the elders, as they continue to oversee us, as they shepherd this flock here. May they do so in accordance with your word, and may they do the things that are right in your eyes. May they lead us through the battle of life like good generals and and be able to direct our paths into righteousness and to help encourage us to uh, pursue the good things and the right things and to do those things which you want us to do. Lord, may they watch over our souls. And Lord, bless them and their families as they have that responsibility. Lord, we know it is not an easy task. It is not an easy role. But as we deal with this new year, may we all be resolved to be better sheep, following our shepherds. And may our shepherds be ever loving and ever caring for us, and especially for our souls. Lord, be with the deacons as we serve here. Help us to uh, serve in a way that will help alleviate some of the day-to-day stress and, and struggles of our leaders. Lord, may we be their lieutenants on the rights and the lefts so that they will be able to focus on the more spiritual things and let us focus on the more earthly needs. Lord, we are thankful for the avenue of prayer that we can come to you and ask you to be with us. Lord, there are several that are among us that have lost loved ones, Lord. Brothers, sons, they have lost uh, nieces and nephews. And Lord, we fathers... Lord, it's never easy to lose someone that we love and care about. And Lord, please be with those that have lost loved ones. May we reach out to them and comfort them how we can. May we remember them in our prayers so they will be uplifted and encouraged. Lord, we most of all thank you for Jesus. And we know without his sacrifice on the cross, we would have no redemption. We'd have no chance for eternal life. And it's through his blessed name we offer this prayer this morning. Amen. Well, sometimes things work, sometimes they don't. There we go. How important is it to have a good battle plan? How important? Very important. I mean, I think I kind of beg the answer with that. You know, how important? It's very important. Uh, Battles are won and lost by the plans that are initiated at the outset. I went through last night. Brother Bob probably would have done a much better job of this. I listened to his lesson uh, that he gave last week, and he started off with a great illustration, and, and he He's much more historically minded than I am. <laughs> um, I went through last night trying to find a good illustration. I really couldn't find one that really sunk into me uh, talking about the importance of battle plans. It's probably my lack of having the right resources and finding it because I'm sure there's many good stories out there from the Civil War, from World Wars uh, that, that talk about the, the need and the necessity and the importance of a battle plan. Uh, I read a story about Gettysburg and, and how the, the, the planning stages leading up to the Battle of Gettysburg was somewhat haphazard, really. Uh, and in fact, you know, it's one of those things that uh, the South, as the, uh, the Confederacy, uh, kind of tried to seize on what they thought was an opportunity at Gettysburg. And in fact, it somewhat backfired on them. Uh, you know, you, you see the planning wasn't necessarily there. Uh, they tried to take advantage of a situation uh, and General Lee thought it was a good situation, and it turned out not to be. Uh, you know, you, you can read those stories right and left about how things just didn't quite work out like you thought they would. Sometimes in my life, in our lives, Monica and I joke about the fact that things 
never work out how we expect them to. It's kind of funny, you know, you plan a trip. We planned a trip to go to Arkansas for New Year's. That's when, oh, really, at the end of after Christmas, post-Christmas to New Year's is a time for, for my family. That's just kind of the way we've, we've done it over the years. Uh, it's easier to coordinate. And so, obviously, it's something that's been planned. And so, we decided we were going to leave last Friday. I took a half day off of work, so we go ahead and hit the road because that drive, which should only be seven, seven and a half hours with two little kids, comes into about ten hours when you get down to it because of all the stops and and starts you have to make along the way. Um, so I said, you know, I'm going to take a half day off. We're going to knock this thing out. Before, on previous trips, we've actually had to just stop like halfway in Tupelo and, and spend the night there because it's just too much and our kids need to get to bed. So we had somewhat of a, a ordered day the next day. So I said, let's just, let's leave out early. Let's get on the road. Let's go. And so we did. Guess what? It didn't work out like we planned. We got to Birmingham only about an you know, hour and a half or so on our trip up 65 before we got on 78 or what, the new I-20 or whatever, not I-20, but that, that new corridor going up to Memphis. Um, but, but before we got to Highway 31 exit in, in Birmingham, all of a sudden we heard a sound. My car kind of pulled a little bit to the right, and I said, something's wrong with our tire. Sure enough, and of course, thankfully, it wasn't rush hour. It was about 2 o'clock. Thank goodness. If y'all have ever been to Birmingham, you know how, how crazy it is to try and get over on the side of the road during a rush hour in Birmingham. And We were actually in the middle lane, and we pulled over, and I said, that's got to be our tire. Got out, walked around, looked at Monica's side, the front driver's side uh, tire. Sure enough, that thing had blown out. It was, it was bad. I mean, it was, it was in, unfixable, no way. Um, I thought, okay, what do I do? I, we, we had the minivan that my father-in-law gave us. I never even looked at the spare tire in the car. You know, it's one of those things. Y'all probably done the same thing in your cars. You don't go look at the, the spare tire very often. So I picked the phone up, called my father-in-law, said, where's the spare tire in this van? He says, it's under the, the rear seat on the inside of the car. Now, if you just understood my talking, we were going to Arkansas for Christmas. That van is loaded to the top. Okay, that's why we got the minivan is to have enough room to put all of our junk in there as we travel down the road. Got in the van, or, uh, you know, I said, well, there's no way I'm getting that out. I said, there's just no way. I said, so I, I hung up. I said, thanks, appreciate it. Hung up the phone, got on my iPhone. You know, I love technology. I said, tire store, you know, Firestone came up. It was like within an, a mile away in Birmingham. I called Firestone real quick. I said, hey, I need a tow truck. And they said, well, we got a guy we work with. Here's his number. Call him. Tell him we, we referred you, and they'll bring you here. Did it. They were there within 15 minutes. So after about a two-hour layover in Birmingham, we finally got back on the road. Things don't go as we plan. No matter how well we plan sometimes, no matter how good we plan or, or how thought out our plans are, sometimes plans just don't work. And that's the way I feel sometimes in life is that our plans just don't always line up to what we expect and what we want and what we need. Um, Battle plans are important. And if battle plans don't line up on how you expect or how you think things are going to unfold, if you don't have smart generals leading your your army into battle, you're definitely not going to have a battle that's thought out, that's planned, or something that's going to work out for you. Because it's going to be haphazard, it's going to be uh, disjointed, disconnected, it's going to be in disarray as you go into battle. So the importance of battle plans are very, very important. Think about 
Joshua. Before I get into Joshua chapter 6, I thought it would be kind of neat to, to look and to think about the, the geography. I haven't really thrown up maps much in this class yet. I, I wanted to start doing that a little bit more as we get into these battles to kind of give you visually what we're looking at and, and where we're looking at over here in the, um, the Canaan area. Of course, you'll remember here as you look at this map on the screen here, uh, one of the things that um, we have uh, that was brought up, I don't know why this isn't working. Um, you see Mount Nebo, of course, there on the map. Uh, there's an arrow that goes from Jahaz through Mount Nebo to uh, Abel Shittim uh, or Shittin. Uh, it's also the word, that's the same uh, city called Shittim in, uh, that we have uh, read about in a lot of our passages uh, there. But you see, of course, Mount Nebo is where Moses uh, saw, uh, the, uh, saw Canaan's land before he was, able, he was not able to cross and go over the Jordan into Canaan. Uh, he actually went there into the Mount Nebo area. He uh, looked, visually saw, we see in Deuteronomy chapter 34, as he kind of was able to see a glimpse of that promised land which he had been told about. He, of course, was precluded from going there because of his disobedience to God. Uh, he, in fact, struck a rock instead of talking to a rock. You know, some of us think, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is God told him to talk to the rock. <laughs> and so he disobeyed God, and that disobedience was enough for God to say, you're just not going to enter the promised land as your, your punishment. Uh, he didn't strike him dead like he had others for disobeying. And, and, uh, but Moses, of course, went there to um, uh, Mount Nebo to see uh, the promised land. All the way up there to, to the Shittim, the, the, or Shittim, I've seen it pronounced different ways uh, as you look at the, 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 I guess, English transliteration of the Hebrew uh, of the, the, the phrase there. That's the area where Joshua sent out the spies, if you'll remember, a couple of lessons ago. Uh, they're on that side of the Jordan River, on the east side of the Jordan. Uh, and in fact, if you go back and read, and we didn't go back in the whole history of Israel before the book of Joshua, but if you go back and look, I did a little bit of reading last night because I was trying to figure out what's the timeline, time frame here. They actually were in camp there for a good long while. Uh, if you go back all the way back in Deuteronomy, uh, through the whole book of Deuteronomy, they are encamped uh, there at Abel Shittin, uh, there where Moses gives them the address, gives them Deuteronomy, by the way, is, is the second giving of the law. That's what Deutero means is a second uh, or again, uh, the giving of the law. And so the, the second giving of the law was given to Israel while they were there encamped at Shittim there on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Uh, you will also remember there's a story in the book of Numbers. They actually began their encampment in Numbers after going to battle in Jahaz there against Sihon and some others that had gone, come down in there. Uh, the Lord caused the, the Moabites to be thoroughly defeated there in Jahaz. They went from Jahaz up to the Abel Shittin area. And when they were there is the, the, the occasion where uh, they started intermingling and intermarrying with the Moabites. And because of that, they started being uh, improperly put together with those that were heathen. And in fact, those that were Baal worshipers. And they were improperly, it's, it's kind of the concept we see in Corinthians. In fact, don't be unequally yoked. <laughs> they were unequally yoked at that point in time uh, with the Moabites. And because of that, and because of, of what was going on among them, the sin that was uh, among the camp, it says pretty much that when they started intermarrying with the Moabites, that they were then connected with Baal. 
And because they were connected with Baal Peor, uh, the, the idol worshiping that was going on among the heathen in Canaan, God started sending a plague upon them and killed thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And it wasn't until Eleazar went and killed the two people that started it with the sword. Eleazar, of course, is the son of Aaron, the high priest of Israel. It wasn't until that point in time that God spared the rest of Israel. He was going to wipe them out because of what they had done. So not too long ago... Not too long ago there, across the eastern side there of the Jordan, uh, Israel faced extinction because of their wickedness and their betrayal. And so there encamped there at Shittim is, is really an area of great importance because that's really where the mindset of Israel changed. Because if you'll remember a couple of lessons ago, and really leading into last lesson that, that Bob uh, did last week for us, uh, dealing with the crossing of the Jordan River and the fact that they were cleansed and rededicated once they crossed the Jordan River into Gilgal, Israel was facing total annihilation because of their godlessness there across the eastern side of the Jordan. So this, this area of, of Shittim there on the eastern side of uh, the Jordan River is an incredible and a very important location and place in the history of the Israelite people. Of course, then we know there the crossing of the Jordan River uh, occurred right there uh, as they went across the Jordan River going toward Jericho. And the crossing, of course, you read about it and it's chronicled in, in chapter 3 as they cross the Jordan River. And, of course, chapter 4 talks about the memorial stones uh, that were placed there by the people. Uh, Bob dealt with that in his lesson last week, dealing with the fact that they obeyed the commandment of God through Moses back in even Deuteronomy, that once they crossed the Red Sea, they were to set up the stones, cover them with plaster, to to mark on them that they would be remembered as a memorial as to what occurred there as they crossed the Jordan River. And of course, it's very reminiscent to what occurred to the people crossing the Red Sea. But we know that once they crossed the Jordan River into the western bank of the Jordan River, they set up camp there at Gilgal. And at Gilgal is where they actually had somewhat of a rest before they began their conquering. And uh, we see the rest there was mandated, really, because the, the men were circumcised. Uh, and the, the reason and importance of circumcision, of course, is paramount throughout the Old Testament. From the beginning and the inception of the agreement, the covenant with Abraham in and, and Genesis chapter 17, dealing with the fact that the covenant would be symbolic and would be kind of written in the flesh as the, the, the men are circumcised there uh, among the people. Now, after the original wandering in 40 years because of their unfaithfulness and not, not being true to God, not really wanting to go into Canaan, uh, you know, they wandered for 40 years. All those that were of age 20 years and more were killed or died in the wilderness as they wandered uh, there in the, uh, the wanderings. So that whole time period, though, during that 40-year time span, that generation did not experience, did not undergo, there was no circumcision. I think it's very interesting and, uh, to understand the fact that circumcision is really what tied them to God. And so it's almost kind of like for 40 years, their punishment was not just the wandering in the wilderness. Their punishment was almost a disconnection with God because they no longer carried out those rituals and those things which were part of the covenant with God. Uh, it's even alluded to possibly that they, they, over, they overlooked and did not carry on all the, the different feasts. They, they did not carry on and do the things that they should do um, in that 40 years of wandering. So there was a disconnect 
a disjointed relationship between Israel and God. And then finally, here we see in Gilgal, God says, hey, it's time to cleanse yourselves. It's time to make this relationship right again. Go and circumcise every male in the camp. Now, what's to be interested, there were some males, by the way, who were still circumcised. I think Bob pointed this out last week. Those that would have been under the age of 20, of course, that were now the oldest of the group, probably, uh, they would not have had to undergo circumcision. They were probably the ones set there on the outpost to make sure nobody was going to come in in the camp, and they were ready and prepared to, to fight if needed. But every other male that was uncircumcised, that had not experienced this covenant relationship with God, had to undergo circumcision. And then, of course, after circumcision, there was a rest period that had to have occurred. And so at Gilgal, what you see there is Gilgal being lifted up and being a place where the reproach of their sin had been literally rolled away. In fact, that's what the Lord said in, in chapter 5, verse 9. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. In verse 10 through 12, they observed the Passover feast. They ate of the produce of the land, the unleavened cakes and parched grain, and manna ceased. Manna, of course, had been with the, the, the children of Israel since they left Egypt. All that time period, they had been under the sustenance of God. And now they're under the, still the hand of sustenance in the promised land because God has brought them to the land. He said, I'm going to give to you and your generations, your descendants. I'm going to provide to you this land that flows with milk and honey. So God's still sustaining them. It's just in a different way. And so you have the replacement of the manna with the, the, the produce, the bounty of the land of Canaan now. Then what I love really as you get into this conversation and you look at what leads into this conquering of this city, which we may or may not get through with this morning, is the fact that God appears to Joshua. I was reading a lot of books, uh, some commentaries on this uh, section of Scripture. And of course, a lot of them say this is probably one of the most unfortunate divisions of Scripture uh, that there is. You've you got to understand and remember this, that when God inspired the Word, He didn't inspire the, the chapters and the verses. Okay, that was added by man uh, for a handy reference as we look at the, the word of God. Uh, when man added the, the breaking here of chapter, between chapter 5 and chapter 6, they, they really did a disservice to the text because it gives you some kind of false sense of reality that there was actually a break here. But more than likely, chapter 6 really should have started there at verse 13 of chapter 5 because what you see here is the approach uh, by a spiritual being uh, to Joshua and informing him and giving him that blessed assurance that they will be victorious as they go to Jericho. And so it really begins chapter 5 and verse 13. But what we see here is that Gilgal, they are on the brink. They are on the edge of Jericho. They see this fortified city that more than likely has a double wall structure around it. And really remember, think back, numbers Back when the first 12 spies went over to to spy out the land of Canaan, what was one of the things that they talked about seeing? Cities fortified. Cities fortified. It wasn't just the the giant people that we kind of think about as kids. It wasn't just the the, the idea that they had armies and things, but they, they had seen these cities that were so fortified that the people came back and said, there's no way we can conquer these places. And Jericho was one of these places. Think of the flashback Joshua probably might have had right now. Jericho was really there on the, the brink and the cusp of Canaan. 
And more than likely, it was one of those cities that was like a border city that really was one of those cities that looked out for not just itself, but really for the region and the area because they knew that if someone infiltrated them on that that bank of the Jordan, that they would in fact not only infiltrate them, but possibly take over their whole city, but also take over all the land around them. There would be no turning back for those people. And there is no question in our minds why chapter 6 and verse 1 says Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. Talk about lockdown. You think back, just a couple, you know, verses preceding really um, chapter 5, verse 1. Now when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, that's this area we're talking about, when all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed. Their hearts melted. There was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. Really because of God. Because they saw the miraculous things the sons of Israel were doing, those men quivered in their boots. They were really shaking in their boots there on the western side of the Jordan River. Why? Because they saw what was coming. It was like Rahab told the spies, the two spies that came to her, that that their hearts are melted over there because they kind of saw, that they knew what was going to happen to them once Israel got there. So just think, and just in your minds imagine, this fortified city, its doors are locked shut. No one's able to come in the city. Nobody's able to go out of the city because they are scared to death as to what's going to happen. Now, when this all occurred, of course, I think Joshua, by the way, I think uh, the, the idea and concept of six, chapter 6, verse 1 is really somewhat, I think, of a parenthetical statement. Because what you see is a dialogue between Joshua and this individual, uh, this being known as the captain of the host of the Lord, discussed between chapter uh, 5, verse 13, all the way down through the commandments in chapter 6, verse 5, of what kind of battle plan they were going to have. Um, there was a dialogue there between uh, this um, heavenly host, so to speak, that gave Joshua God's divine assurance that they would be victorious. Now, Joshua may not have actually understood at the beginning and how this was going to occur. In fact, as we talked about during the, the, the class, talking about going and scouting out and looking at Rahab and being there in Jericho, there was really an, an idea and concept of Joshua to make sure that he does his own part to scout the land out because he was going to prepare his people for battle. He didn't know the battle plan yet, but as a good, diligent general, a leader of the people, he was going to make sure he was prepared for what come what may uh, there for the battle. He really, I believe, thought they were going to have to go in there, swords, shields, bearing, and just really wield and and conquer and, and kill and had no idea about God's other plans for Jericho. And so we see as he approaches and he's talking with this individual in chapter 5, verse 13 through 15, there is no doubt some divine assurance here of the victory that they would be able to have uh, with respect to um, the, uh, the battle there in Canaan. I'm going to restart this. Hold on. This is, I don't like my PowerPoint not working. All right, there we go. We see the Lord first appears uh, to, um, to Joshua. Now, Bob discussed uh, this verse briefly last week, and I don't want to get in too much of a, of a... There's a debate between whether or not this individual called 
the captain of the host of the Lord was Jesus Christ, God the Son, or God the Eternal Word, whichever phrase you want to use to talk about that, that divine uh, being of deity, uh, that person of the, uh, the Trinity being, uh, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's, co- that's customarily how we deal with the Trinity, those three individuals. And so there's a lot of debate, there's a lot of discussion, and there's some good reasoning behind saying that this is actually God the Son here as coming as being the captain of the host. Uh, it deals with his place, his priority, the fact that, that Christ was above the angels. The host there, no doubt, refers to the angelic beings um, that's the same phrase used throughout the Bible, talking about angelic beings. I, I'm not as dogmatic that it's God the Son. I think it very well could be uh, somebody like Michael the archangel who actually commanded the angels. Uh, you got some other individuals like that that are described. Uh, a lot of people argue and say that because Joshua, a lot of versions, and I don't know what version you have, King James Version, I believe, translates verse 14, that Joshua worshipped him. Uh, and that's not exactly an entirely correct translation. That word literally means that, that Joshua bowed down to him. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't mean he, that doesn't mean worship. It could very well mean worship because that same phrase is used uh, with regard to worship in the Old Testament. That Hebrew and that Greek phrase is used for that. It could also mean just a fact of, of, of uh, submission. Uh, the fact that someone has lordship over you. It's not necessarily the divine lordship, but it could be some subservient role in the fact that Joshua recognized that this individual was not of this earth, uh, that this being was not from this earth. It could be the fact that Joshua wanted to show his submission, so he bowed down, and the fact that he recognized that, that whoever sent him had authority and a position much greater than Joshua ever had. So I want to make that little note, side note for you. It does not necessarily dictate that Joshua worshipped this individual. And now if it was worship, obviously it would not be an angel. So a lot of people argue and say, well, if he bowed down and worshipped this being, then it could not be an angel. You cannot worship angels. And I believe Bob referred this last week over in Revelation. The angel said, stand up, don't worship me. That's not, that's not, that's not my place. Uh, and obviously that would be the case uh, in this situation. And he did not do that. So that's what an argument is made for this being God the Son. I, I'm not sold on that 100%. Uh, so, and I'm not going to be dogmatic. Some people can believe that that's fine. Uh, there's a lot of going back and forth. And Brother uh, Robert Allen and I have gone back and forth on some of that uh, discussion with regard to the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. There's a lot of people that, that talk about that being the embodiment or the visualization, the, the uh, representation of God the Son in the Old Testament. Sometimes it may be a little bit more easy to understand because there is a reference in the New Testament to the Old Testament. Uh, it does occur. I'm not going to say it does not, but it's not always easy to understand when, in, when it occurs. This could be very well just another messenger giving the Lord's commandments. Because what we do know in this passage is regardless of who this individual is, we know for sure that it's a message from God. That's what we know. And God's assurance here through this individual, this, this person being the, the captain of the, the Lord of hosts, uh, the, the, the Lord's hosts uh, here, we know conveyed to them the fact that first of all, what Joshua is about to experience is something much bigger than uh, normal. And in fact, you see in verse 15, this place which you are standing is holy. And it's very much a reference to the fact that that God has set apart this time, this moment, much like he did back with Moses in the burning bush, for Joshua to obtain something of spiritual importance. 
that God has placed something of emphasis on this moment in Joshua's life. And it's, so, it's, it's awesome to look at the parallels between Joshua and his command and Moses and his command. And we don't have time to go into all those parallels, but obviously this is one of them. Uh, one of those comparisons that you see of Joshua having this face-to-face with the Lord's um, commandments and the Lord's uh, desires, the Lord's instructions, really the Lord's commission to him to lead them into battle. Moses' was, of course, the commission to go into Egypt and to, to save his people and bring them out of captivity, right? That's what he said in the burning bush. Moses, go free my people, pretty much. Go down to Egypt land. Do what I say to do. Say what I say to do. Say to them my commandments. You know, convey to those things. Of course, we know Moses kind of, him hauled around. He tried to back out of it, made a couple excuses. Ultimately, he's paired up with Aaron, of course, as being the, the mouthpiece for God there among Israel. But here we see Joshua, Joshua being with the Lord because of his commandments and the pressure being asserted and then the instruction being given to him. And the Lord appears him in Joshua's conversation with the captain of the Lord's host here uh, assured him and Israel victory. We see somewhat of an aside there in verse 2. Jericho was already fearful. And I believe this is a time that is kind of just thrown there as a parenthetical observation, the fact that these doors were closed there among the people. Because we see there in verse 3, it goes on there, the fact that God gives him or the Lord gives him the instructions. In verse 2, saying, the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its kings and the valiant warriors. And we see in in verse 2, the the phrase I have given is a phrase of certainty for Joshua. It's not a, hey, maybe, you know, you're going to overtake this country or this city. It's not a a question uh, of if. It's a question of when or maybe a question of how. But God has assured Joshua here, Jericho will fall. His king will become his bounty as well as the valiant soldiers. There will be nothing left of Jericho. We know from the previous um, instructions for the the nation of Israel, when they went to the promised land, what were they supposed to do with the people and with the country and with the cities uh, that they came in, in, in front of? Annihilate them. If they withstood them to their face, if they did not compromise, if they did not try and strike any kind of peace agreement, what, what God has told Moses to tell them is when you go into the land, you utterly destroy them. You don't leave a house standing. You don't leave a man, woman, or child alive. And God assures them here in verse 2, I have given Jericho to you. You have this divine assurance from God that these things are going to come about. And what you further see then is what I would mark as God's strange battle plan. Battle plans, as we already talked about earlier, are very important. Our plans in life are so important. And in our lives, our plans sometimes are thwarted. Sometimes our our plans don't go as we plan. But guess what? Not so with God. God's plans are always brought about, right? If he promises something, he's going to bring about what he promises. We see here as we go on in this study in Joshua 6, verses 3 through 7, we see uh, God's strange battle plan. As you read these verses, if you were to go to a place that taught army soldiers, let's just say you go to the Citadel or you go to, um, I don't know, what's another good place that, that trains officers? 
Well, yeah, any kind of cadet school. Right, there's another one I'm thinking of. Um, maybe OTS Burrell. Maxwell Air Force Base. You go to any of these places, any of these places. And what are you, are you ever going to hear someone give you a battle plan? Are you just going to march silently around a city? And then walls are just going to fall down. If, if, if a commander, a general, if any ranking officer came in and said, hey, this is our battle plan, folks. We're going to go into this city. We're going to march around it one time for six days in a row, one time each day. That seventh day, we're going to march seven times, okay? Those other six times are going to mean something else, okay? And then at the end of the sixth, the, the seventh march around that city, we're all going to scream and holler and shout, and that wall is just going to fall down. Can you imagine what the cadets or what the other soldiers would think about that commanding officer? I can only imagine. I saw Carmel, I think, come in the back. I mean... I can only imagine, right, what a soldier would say if you told him that was our game plan, folks. We're just going to circle. All right, let's, let's do modern warfare, okay? We're going to take a jet plane, or a drone. Let's even go more modern. We're going to take a drone, and we're going to fly circles around Kabul for one, one time, seven days in a row, or six days in a row. Seventh day, we're going to let the drone drive, go seven times. And then all of a sudden, there's going to be some horns and buzzers and whistles going off. And all of a sudden, that, that city's just going to fall kaput. Can you imagine what our soldiers would look and, and say to that commanding officer? Hey, can you imagine what the order, like if the commander-in-chief, the, the president of the United States said, okay, this is our plan. Of course, the president, no, never mind, I'm not going to get into that. Um, can you imagine what the soldiers would think? They would think they have lost their bloody mind. They are nuts. They're crazy. But as you look at the scriptures here in Joshua, in fact, the commander-in-chief of Israel says, this is what we're going to do, folks. You march around this city, all the men of war circling the city once, you shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast of the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead. There's your game plan, folks. Now, you talk about a strange battle plan. Here it is. Now, as kids, as kids, we heard this story, and we thought, wow, how, how cool is that? You know, God just knocked down the city walls of Jericho. You know, we heard the story as Jericho. Matter of fact, as kids, you probably marched around some big structure, you know, seven times, you know, and then you started yelling and screaming, and then the walls fell down like a VBS or something, right? I mean, I, I remember doing that as a kid. And we just thought, man, that's so cool. You know, God just took down that city. Now, as an adult mind, though, can you imagine what the adults probably thought right here? I mean, really? Really? If I was in the army, I was a soldier, I had just vanquished and conquered Moabites, Hittites. I had gone throughout all these 40 years of wandering with the the soldiers around me. Time and time again, we had fought, we had conquered, we had killed, we had used our swords, we had just battled these people time and time again. And then here all of a sudden, we're at Jericho, double wall, fortified city. And the Lord says, okay, y'all just march. And the walls are just going to fall down. As a soldier... 
I could not help probably but think, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Now, what's interesting, if you look at this passage, first of all, you don't see any of those comments made. <laughs> Joshua doesn't look at God or look at the Lord and look at this, the captain of the hosts and say, are, are, are you serious? Are you serious? This is, this is all we got to do? In his mind, my guess is Joshua, being the commander-in-chief, the general of this army, had been planning in his mind, okay, this is how we're going to conquer the wall. This is how we're going to break down these doors. All right, this one's going to go this way. We're going to outflank them this way. We're going to, you know, divert them, the attention. I can just imagine the strategy and the battle plan that maybe Joshua had been thinking in his mind. And all of a sudden, the Lord says, this is how you're going to do it. And all you're going to do is march around the walls. You don't read of Joshua questioning. You don't read about any of the soldiers questioning. You don't read about any of the people speaking up and and saying, you know, God, why are you doing it this time? You know, all the other times we lost family members in battle. You know, we had to go out and kill people before. Why now? Why are you changing it now, God? Why don't you just do this all, all the other times? You don't hear any of that in the book of Joshua. I'm not saying people weren't thinking that. But you don't read about any of the unrest or questioning of the authority of God. Now that to me tells a little bit of volumes about how far these people had come. Uh, you know, you see the, the, the plans unfold. You see how, uh, you know, possibly why God did what he did. We've already talked about the nature of the plan for the most part. March around the city once daily for six days. March around seven times on the seventh day. During the course of the marching, the seven priests with seven horns would march in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Obviously, the Ark of the Covenant being the representation, the symbolic presence of God among the people there in battle. And so if you look at the kind of the the, the way they marched and the the order of the marching, you got the soldiers, then you got the, the priests, the seven priests with the seven horns and they got the ark and you got some other uh, soldiers or people who were protective at the, behind the ark and then you got the other people who joined in the march as they marched around these walls seven times on the seventh day and, and then of course those priests would on uh, the seventh day uh, would blow that, that, the horns and after the horns were blown Joshua would instruct the people to, to shout and then the walls would fall down. That's the, the nature of God's plan for the people um, the silence of the people, I think, is very interesting. Throughout all of this, this time period, as they marched, the, the people were to keep silent. And there in verse 10, and Joshua commanded the people, Don't, you shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you, shout. Then you shall shout. He kept them quiet as they marched. Brother Verl. I don't, I don't dispute that at all. I think that's a... Yeah, even from non-military. That's me. It seems absurd to me. 
to, to ask uh, a nation just to walk around walls and they fall down. I mean, it, you know, that's not battle to me. I mean, is that battle to you? That's not battle to you. Now, I agree. Gilgal was the one of the biggest turning points in this nation's history because the rededication and the, the resubmission and the cleansing that they had. Not only were they circumcised, not only uh, were they required to have that rededication, that reinstitution uh, of the covenant, but you also see the fact that they started observing what at that point in time? The Passover. That, that is the, the idea and the concept, the reiteration. What was the Passover feast? That was what began this whole journey. Talking about coming around 360 degrees, right back where you started from, that's what you see here in the passage, and I agree with you 100%. They're reminded of God's firm dedication and the fact that they must be fully reliant on God as they observe that Passover feast there before they left Gilgal. And I think that's exactly, I agree 100% with you. It was at that point, it wasn't just a change of mind anymore, it was a change of heart. And you see throughout, besides the Achan episode, which we'll get to maybe next week if we get through Jericho, but you see throughout the book of Joshua, that's really unfettering here. And throughout the days of Joshua, it is said that the people of Israel were, what? Faithful. All the days of Joshua and all the days of those who were leaders under Joshua. It wasn't until those leaders died off that Israel started straying from the fold again. And that is amazing of a testament. And it's not just an amazing testament for Joshua, I don't think, but it's an amazing testament for the changing hearts and minds of the the nation of Israel. And what you see is they finally got it. Finally. I mean, how many years does it take to understand God's in control? God will lead you where you need to go. All you got to do is follow him. Israel finally got it at Gilgal. And as they stood there before Joshua, as they heard his commandments of, hey, here's our game plan. Here's our battle plan for taking down this fortified city of Jericho. In their hearts and in their minds, I fully believe, they reminded themselves, God was with us as a nation back when we were in Egypt. He saved us from bondage. He was with us throughout the wilderness journey. He was with us throughout the the 40 years of wandering when we were unfaithful to him. God's got to be with us today. God's got to be with us today. And so there they were ready to march. We'll pick up here next week. Thank you all for y'all's kind attention.